This is becoming a regular thing, isn't it? It's nice to be back with you folks again, two Sundays in a row. Uh, Unfortunate circumstances of illness and trust that your family is on the mend and things will return to normal. But in the meantime, I'm glad to be here. I got a little bit more notice this time, a couple days rather than a couple of hours, so uh, that works nicely as well. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, this was the text we looked at last week. And we return to it now today because, surprisingly, we've not exhausted all that is in this uh, section of the Bible. Last week we saw a few things in this text Reading from Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week uh, we noticed that this uh, passage provokes some questions, which is good. It's nice to ask questions when we read the Bible. You know, that's how we learn is we ask questions. For instance, what is Jesus' purpose in issuing the three invitations in this passage? Remember those three? Come to me, Jesus says. Take my yoke and learn from me. Three invitations, all related to Jesus. To him, to his yoke, and to him, and from him. I don't know about you, but I need that constant reminder and challenge to draw near to Jesus. And this warm invitation that he extends here is so refreshing, especially when we consider his audience. And that leads us to the second question that we might ask about this passage. Who are these tired and weary people? that he is inviting to come to him and take his yoke and learn from me. Who are they? Well, today we need to figure out what's going on with these people. What is their burden that they are carrying? What has worn them out? And what is the root cause of all of this? After all, if we're going to identify with this text, we should try to be looking more carefully at exactly what's going on with these people, because we might find out we're just like them, and we need this message as well. So that's a second question. The third question would be, what would prompt someone listening to Jesus here to take him up on these invitations? Why would people say, okay, I'll come, I'll take your yoke, I'll learn from you? And so today we need to figure out what yoke these people are wearing, and why Jesus' yoke is better. I hope you're curious about that as well. He actually gives two reasons why his yoke is preferable. First reason, he says, because I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest when you take my yoke. The second reason, my yoke is gentle and my burden is light. So, they can be appealed to on that basis, and perhaps that appeals to us as well. Now, this passage doesn't precisely tell us why these people are worn out. 
But we're curious, aren't we? Aren't you curious? Let's warn them out. What is the cause of all this? How does Jesus even know that they're worn out? Do they have that look about them that they're just exhausted and overburdened? Well, asking good questions can help us in the passage. And it's here that we can begin to understand how the writers of the gospel actually frame their story. Remember, they're telling a story. This is not just uh, isolated incidents that uh, come to Matthew's mind. Oh, I think I'll write this down. I think I'll write this down with no continuity necessarily, no connectivity. And so it's just like reading any good book. Now, obviously, this is a better book because it's the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, the gospel writers use some of the same rules. For instance, they have heroes. In the case of the gospels, Jesus is clearly the hero of the story. Now, you might not be accustomed to reading the Bible like that. But if we do, we might find some more insights than we would ordinarily acquire. Now, the hero, which is Jesus in this story, is operating on what we could call his natural level. That is, the level of daily life. We all do that. Heroes, you included and me included, We care for our families, we manage our households, we do our jobs, we relate to our neighbors, we enjoy life, we eat meals, and in general, we live in existence, just like ordinary people. Jesus did these things. He walked around, he did the things that were important to him, he slept somewhere, he ate meals, and he related to people. And so Jesus here in Matthew 11 is doing that. He sees these people weary and burdened. And because of who he is, his natural inclination is to address these people at their deepest need. This is what Jesus loves to do. It's why he came. But there's another force at work here. And that leads to the title for today's message, which is Jesus and those who oppress. You see, there's another thing going on here that we don't see in verses 28 to 30 laid out for us, but it's there, as we'll discover. And it's the conflict level, the conflict in life. And what does conflict do? Conflict rubs up against us and prevents us from pursuing the things that we think are important. It obstructs our pursuit of our passions and our values. It keeps us from going on the course that we think that we need to go on. And so these two things are at work always in life. Everybody here knows what conflict is, I assume, and everybody here knows what it means to go about daily life. When these two come together, there's this convergence. It's called a crisis. Something happens. Now, the question is this, and I know you look for this when you read good stories. The question is this. What is it that the hero is going to do when a crisis arrives, arises? And that's our question today in this passage. And so we need to see how Jesus handles the drama 
that's associated with him as he pursues his passions. And so this brings us to four more questions for today. First, the obvious question that we've already raised, which is why are these people worn out? Hope to offer an answer to that today out of this passage. Why are they worn out? A second question is this, what is Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, attempting to achieve by putting these three verses, Matthew 11, 28, 30, these three verses, putting them where they are found in the text? You see, he's telling Jesus' story, not just giving us verses. Verses didn't even exist. The Bible was not numbered by verses or chapters originally. Matthew just wrote a story. He didn't say, I think I'll put a chapter break right here or there. That didn't happen. And so as he's telling the story, we want to understand how do these three verses that we're looking at right now, how do they relate to what came before it and what comes after it? And sometimes we don't do that very well. And if we don't do that, we might miss something very important. For instance, you can go back to the beginning of chapter 11, which we're not going to do today, and you can trace through chapter 11 and ask yourself, how do these verses lead up to Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30? But this brings us to another question for today. How does Matthew follow these verses? 11, 28 to 30, what comes next? Do you ever think of that? I wonder what's next. And of course, right away, we're thrown off by the fact that it's a new chapter. It's chapter 12. Well, then we might think, well, obviously, there's no connection because that's a new chapter. Something new is going on there. But remember, chapters were not there when when Matthew wrote and were only added later on. So what if we actually pretended it's not a new chapter, but we actually went into the very next verse? What does Matthew do here? Well, there's a conflict in Matthew chapter 12 about the Sabbath. Looks unrelated to what Jesus has been dealing with in 1128 to 30. But here's a question for us. In the larger scheme of Matthew's story, what's happening here in Matthew 12, 1 to 14? And let's take a look at what's going on there. And we might find answers to the questions that we're asking. So, four observations on Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. Here's the first one. Matthew wants the readers to see that what happens in 12, 1 to 14 is intimately connected to 11, 28 to 30. He wants us to see a connection. How do we know that? Look at the first three words, at that time. You see that connection? You see the same thing back in chapter 11, verse 25, at that time. Matthew uses this expression to link things together. And so perhaps he's thinking, I hope my readers will actually connect what's about to happen in chapter 12 with what has just been said. Notice also that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, And this is another link with chapter 11. It may not look that way at first, 
But these Sabbath incidents in Matthew chapter 12 are very striking for a specific reason. You know what the Sabbath is, of course. It's a day of rest, so the Sabbath rest. And you might remember that back in chapter 11, Jesus twice mentions rest for the weary. And so having offered rest to the weary, chapter 11... You will find rest for your souls, he says. Immediately, we're into a story about the Sabbath. It's possible that the Sabbath rest of chapter 12 has something to do with what Jesus has been talking about. That's the first observation. Second observation in chapter 12, Jesus must surely know that what he's about to do will be provocative. He's already had a bit of a running feud with the Pharisees in Matthew up to this point. It's going to get worse. But when it says his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat, Jesus didn't say, whoa, wait a minute, guys, don't you know this is the Sabbath? You can't do that kind of thing. He knew the religious leaders would have a problem with that, but he doesn't obstruct his disciples from doing it. And so he knew that this would be provocative, but he doesn't stop it. How interesting of Jesus to do this. The third observation is that due to their inability to grasp the real meaning of the Sabbath, the Pharisees would bludgeon people, Jesus and his disciples, with a sense of religious obligation. Let me say that again. Due to their inability to grasp God's intent with the laws of the Sabbath, the Pharisees bludgeoned people with their interpretation of religious obligation. In other words, the Sabbath was not a refreshing rest, it was a duty to perform, was what it had become. You see the difference? Jesus knows they think this way. They may not understand what they've done, but certainly Jesus does. And so it says in verse 2, when the Pharisees saw it, that is that the disciples were plucking heads of grain and eating on the Sabbath, these Pharisees said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And there's the disciples munching away, enjoying a little snack, on their way as they're walking around with Jesus, innocently eating some corn. But the Pharisees saw a huge problem with that. Have you ever experienced that, or perhaps you've actually done it yourself, where you have been the victim of someone saying, you shouldn't do that. I grew up with that kind of thing. Can't do this, can't do that. There was a lot of it. I grew up in a strong Christian home, but my parents had been influenced by the rules mentality, and so there were a lot of things that I couldn't do. Even in Bible college, I remember in 1966, I was standing on the steps of my dormitory in Washington, D.C., on 15th Street, Northwest, standing there. It was a warm day, beautiful day, and guess what I had done? I had put on... Bermuda shorts. I had shorts. I was standing out there. And a new student came up to me. I'll never forget this. And he said, what would our Lord say if he saw you dressed like that? 
I was completely taken aback. It had never crossed my mind that Jesus was overly concerned about whether I wore Bermuda shorts or not. But that day, this person felt it his duty to point out to me that I was in violation of some kind of heavenly code. Is it possible that the people that Jesus is talking to are wearied with that kind of thing? You know, there's two kinds of, of motivations for, uh, for stress and anxiety. One is internal. We may naturally just feel like we're inadequate before God. People feel that way, even as Christians. We feel like we're not doing enough. We're not pleasing God. We're not, God's not smiling upon us in favor of us. That's an internal kind of thing. It's not true. He doesn't see his people that way. But we can feel that way. And so we're internally driven to be worn out and depressed because we're trying to do so much for God and to, and to gain his favor and to please him. But the other kind of motivation is an external one that gets imposed from the outside. And for religious people, there's plenty of opportunities for that to happen. You see, there are always those who will seek to control and manipulate others into thinking they're not doing enough. And so in verse 2, we see the Pharisees playing that role. Now, one last observation from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus will use three principles in the remaining verses of Matthew 12, 1 to 14 to suggest that the Pharisees, in asking this question, in making this statement in verse 2, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, Jesus will make three uh, principles that he will establish. The first in verses 3 and 4. Haven't you read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. And that wasn't lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Haven't you heard of that, Jesus? Now, uh, excuse me, haven't you guys heard of it, you Pharisees? What's Jesus doing? He's telling a little story here. He's reminding them of an incident back in First uh, Samuel chapter and First Samuel, this is called in Jewish literature a haggadah, which is a story. He tells a story, and it raises the question: Is it possible that human need, as in the case of David, might supersede the law's demands? Is that possible? Obviously, with David, it was, and it was okay. Apparently, he didn't violate the law. Don't you guys? Think about these things. Is it possible, then, that, that there's a situation where human need might supersede the law's demands? There's a second principle here in verse 5 to 8. Or, haven't you read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you've known what this means, quote, this is a quote from Hosea chapter 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. 
My disciples here eating corn, they're guiltless. You're condemning them. Why? Because you don't understand a basic principle that God is much more interested in the heart response of mercy and less interested in the sacrifices we might make to keep the law. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now verses uh, 3 and 4 were what I said, Haggadah, this in verses 5 to 8, is called halakha. I don't expect you to remember that, but if you're curious, I'm saying it. And halakha is basically a, a legal case. What are you required to do? And what verses 5 to 8 ask is really, is it possible there are occasions where the law's demands are nuanced by practicalities? Is it possible there's situations where we look at the law a little bit differently rather than imposing demands because there are practical situations. And in the case of the, temp- the priests, it's obvious. The, the rabbis had ruled it's okay for them to work on the Sabbath in the temple. That's not a violation of the law. And finally, the third principle in verses 9 to 14 Jesus went out of there into a new situation, a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. Probably the same accusers. Now, this is a legal question that's being raised. Is it lawful? They want Jesus to defend what he's doing, healing on the Sabbath, Preparing to heal this guy. Can you defend this legally? They're asking. So he says to them, verse 11, Which of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And so he gives a ruling, a legal ruling, which is it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. A legal ruling is determined. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. How interesting that these encounters in Matthew 12, 1 to 14, follow immediately after Jesus addressing those who are weary and burdened. And there's a couple of terms here we need to recognize that Jesus is playing on. First of all, we have the idea of rest. I've already mentioned that. The Pharisees are confused about rest. They don't quite get it. Jesus has offered rest in 1128 to 30. Now on the Sabbath, the disciples are resting as they're walking through cornfields. That is rest, but the Pharisees don't see it that way because they don't understand the concept of rest. They see rest as something, a club that they can wield and beat people over the head with. Jesus understood the Sabbath was a gift of God intended to bless people. Is it possible that Matthew puts this in this passage right here to say, here's why these people feel so weary and burdened down? A second term is used. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight that they're burdened, weary, heavy laden, and burdened, something like that. And that's often used in Scripture to refer to the, the heavy, onerous 
laws that are imposed upon people by religious leaders. Several chapters later in Matthew, in chapter 23 and verse 4, Jesus is going to go on a scathing tirade against the religious leaders. He doesn't hold back. It may not be your favorite passage in the Bible, Matthew 23, but you should read it. Because there we see Jesus letting it all out, and he is furious with the religious leaders. Why? Matthew 23, verse 4. Because you tie up heavy burdens and place them on people's shoulders, but you won't lift a finger yourself. Jesus knew the Pharisees had a tendency to put burdens on people. And that same idea and word occurs in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. One more, the term yoke. Interesting that Jesus uses that term. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is used elsewhere in Scripture specifically to describe what happens when Jewish people impose upon other Jews the requirements of the law and hold their feet to the coals. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, the apostles had gathered together to figure out how can these new Gentile converts be brought into the family of God? What do we have to impose upon them? Do we have any legal requirements for them? And they concluded that we shouldn't impose legal requirements on them because we would be placing on these disciples, on their neck, a yoke. Notice that word, a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And there the word yoke is applied specifically to making people comply with the law. And then Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has set you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And there is clearly legal requirements. See, what we have here is the genius of the gospel. This is a story. Clues are there if we look for them. And now we have a better idea of what might be driving Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 when he says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Why? Because he understands exactly what they're living with. They're living with this sense that they don't measure up to God, that they are not meeting the requirements, that somehow God is looking down with a frown. You may be here today and feel that way. You may feel that God's not happy. You know that you love Jesus and you've come to him and trusted him for salvation, but the reality is you may live often, day by day, with a sense of inadequacy. Jesus understands that. He knows what that is like, and he has seen this in the eyes of these people as he's ministered to them. And what is the remedy? It's him as a person. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. Are you weary today? Do you feel burdened down that you not, are not doing well enough, that you just need to do a little bit more? Jesus' words are this. Push aside all those external pressures that are telling you 
that you're not measuring up. Push aside all those internal pressures that keep reminding you of how inadequate you are and come to me, says Jesus. I will give you rest. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this wonderful truth from your word that you are available and that we can come to you, that you can give us what we need and that we have been delivered from the bondage of the law and the requirements that might be there that would make us feel as if we just are not good enough. We come to you today. May each person in this room come to you to find rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.